the nature of your emergency. Welcome back to the Tactical Living Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Walton, joined by Detective Walton. Glenn, how are you? I'm good. In today's episode, we're going to talk about how mental disorders are metabolic disorders of the brain. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy today's content. We're laughing because I totally effed up that intro when we tried to record it like three times. So I decided to just go with the laughs so that I can actually get through it. There's a Harvard psychologist. His name is Chris Palmer. And he studies mental disorders. And he has a book called Brain Energy. I'll link it down below. But he explains something in a way that is completely different from any other psychotherapy professional that I have ever heard before. And he talks about how he believes that essentially, if we have metabolic issues going on in our body, then instead of us only associating that to things like how it impacts our health diet-wise and weight-wise, there's actually a strong correlation between our mental health and metabolic disorder. And as I'm reading this, there was this light bulb moment that came off for me because any time that I have clients come to me, although I am a coach, I'm not a psychotherapist, a lot of the times when they have issues that we're working through that could be related to mental health issues one of the first things that we strategize is getting getting their mind and their body right. And we often hear mind-body together, but I've never heard somebody make that connection when it comes to things on a scientific level. And this is all scientifically proven. You can pick up the book for yourself and explore it and learn a little bit more if, if you want to. But I'm going to read I'm going to read a review that is on this book up on Amazon because he puts it together in the most brilliant way. And this gentleman says, in summary, Dr. Palmer's brain energy book presents a compelling case that metabolic syndrome is a critical disorder that impinges upon our mental health. Because this fact is overlooked by most, if not all, of the mental health professionals, it's easy to see why rates of recovery associated with mood-stabilizing pharmaceuticals and talk therapy are so low. I'm going to pause for a second. So in the book, it is demonstrated that although there are prescribers that give drugs for, let's just use examples um, like bipolar disorder or depression, a lot of the times these results, meaning if you were to ask a patient three months after giving that medication, how their symptoms are, it is very comparable than how it was to begin with. Meaning that I don't want to say medication doesn't work, but what these studies are finding is that there there are often needs for additional medications, for an increase in dosage and things along those lines. And he continues by saying that without fixing your metabolism, your your efforts to fix your mental health will be challenged by a brain that is working without the energy that it needs to perform the demanding tasks like cognitive reframing and then the executive functions necessary for mental health and well-being. So basically, if you have a patient, they're arguing, and all you're doing is you're giving them talk therapy and medication, if you're not focusing on the things that are supportive in order for those things to work, meaning a healthy brain, then these things are probably never going to work. 
And I talk a lot about my disdain for allopathic medicine, modern medicine overall. And this seems to reconfirm that for me when it comes to mental health, because it is very rare to find an individual who decides to practice medicine so much to the extent that they go to school and they dump a bunch of money to be able to do it, to be able to backtrack and say, wait a second, there might be a holistic supplementation that might be needed here. And and I think, I mean, we, we all know we're, we are now, uh, we're, we have been for many years a pill popping society. And, it, and it's something like kind of down that same line, but not exactly the same. It's like finding these diet pills and, and people want to take that diet pill to lose weight, but they're not going and exercising. They're not changing their diet. They're just expecting this magic pill to fix everything when there's so many other things you have to do for those to even to create some sort of change within you. And the same thing goes for these psychotherapy type pills is if you're not making changes in your normal day to day, it's not going to create any other effect other than just the side effects that you're receiving from those pills. Yeah. And we, we only know what we know, right? Right. We recently talked about implicit bias and, Another element that goes along with that when it comes to our healthcare and our mental health is that we have all suffered from implicit bias as Americans if we have not gained the exposure of other medical modalities. I say that because if we compare Asian medicine, if we compare Eastern medicine to what we are offered here in America with our very basically cut and dry format of allopathic modern medicine, it is like night and day. Clint and I, we've been very fortunate to experience a lot of other cultures and countries and professionals that live somewhere or have the experience and education from somewhere other than the United States. And that's not to bash. I'm simply trying to demonstrate the comparison between the different ways that practitioners go about their level of practice based on where they've come from and how culture plays a, a massive part in that. And it's, it's, and it's all a monetary thing, just like with anything is we've converted our, our medicine practices into, well, what's going to get me the most money? And, and that's how a lot, and not all, but how a lot of doctors look at it is let's get these people through this, this revolving door and see how we can, um, put a bandaid on the problem instead of like, let's really address this issue. Or it could be, they just have zero knowledge when it comes to actually how to address these issues because they've never been taught it. They don't have any experience with it. Yeah, and I, I have a big problem with coaches, therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors, anybody who provides those types of similar services, who feel it to be a bragging right to talk about the relationship that they have had with any one single client for the past 5, 10, 15, 20 years. What a dis disservice it is to create a codependent relationship with another individual in this type of capacity when that other individual is not your spouse. What that means to me is instead of Clint coming to me and talking through some things that are going on, 
he might not ever bring those up to me at all because he has somebody else to be able to do that with. And now there are many things that are okay to have kept private. We're allowed that. However, I believe that if you have that type of codependent relationship and it's that long withstanding, you are more likely to have those conversations with somebody else. And so we need to ask ourselves, where is that line in the sand? And why is this relationship existing for as long as it has been? Now, I have no problem with hiring specialty coaches, specialty counselors, specialty therapists, depending on your level of evolution and what else you have an interest in in terms of your growth. But if you're still at level one with that same individual after one year, two years, three years, then I I would recommend reconsidering why that is. Yeah, you you want to seek those outside sources to because you're going to if you want to keep expanding and growing and and learning and trying to figure out how to solve the problem instead of how instead of how to just ease the side effects to whatever it may be you want to find different people's outlooks on it and and their approaches because you could talk to Ashley and she'll give you one way of doing things and then you say, and just as an example, you come talk to me and I have a different approach on it and not all of them work from either side. You take all that sum of information and you implement them to what works for you. Yeah. And I think a lot of times people feel guilt or maybe they're in psychotherapy and they don't understand that they have the ability of options when it comes to what their insurance might cover. You know, there could be a wide variety of reasons why people don't even realize that they're stuck in a situation like that. But I would encourage all of us, regardless of whether or not you're in talk therapy, to explore that understanding of how our metabolic levels have a direct correlation to our mental health. And an easy way for us to be able to do this is to pay very, very close attention to the things that you're putting into your mouth all day long today. And tomorrow, pay very, very close attention to the way that you feel. And I think that is a a very easy example and a very easy way for us to understand that, wait a second, there might be something going on here with this mind-body connection that's a little bit deeper than I might have previously thought. So I hope you've gotten some value out of today's episode. If you have, do us a favor, drop a review, subscribe down below. And as always, know that I'm sending you a long, tight hug from my home to yours.